Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. I heard Mike did a good job last week, uh, giving you what is an abridged version of Mark. Uh, I also heard, unfortunately, that uh, you got out early. (laughs) That was discouraging. (laughs) We're going to take communion today, so we're getting started here. We're going to have just a little worship and communion at the end, so I want to get rolling. So we can do that. We're in a series in, in Hebrews talking about the Christian life really as a journey a journey toward a big city. For we have here no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This is what the scriptures say, a lasting city, an enduring city, ultimate city um, that's beyond this life. And we're citizens of it. And we live out of the resources of it. If you're a believer, you... You're counting on the resources of that city to survive here. Um, The dynamic of eternity, because that's what that is, which is really God, his rule and his life, and we draw strength from it. We draw life from it, from his being, from his personality, from his character, from his power. One day it will be all you need to survive One day your whole life will be based and centered solely on that. But now we have the opportunity to live out of those resources now. Dallas Willard always used to say, I used to love this. He says, you ought to have a life uh, that can't be explained in human terms. That's what Hebrews is getting at. You live the kind of life that's drawing from resources, creating a life in you that can't be explained in human terms. It's just you take on the quality of eternal life, an eternal quality of life now. That's what we're talking about. So we're on this journey to that city, drawing resources from it as we go, and we've learned in this, uh, in this deal that, we're, that this journey involves a couple of things, and one of them is our faith, has a, you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's, we need faith all the way th- in, through the entire journey. But we also need community in that journey. And they sort of get, uh, and there's a dynamic going on between the two of them. Uh, remember we said, Augustine said, when you're converted at the beginning of your journey of faith, when you come to Christ, when you're saved, uh, you get two things. Two things happen. Augustine said, you get a compass. In other words, the journey isn't over just because you gave your your, your life to Christ and because you had faith initially. There's a journey you go on and you need a compass to make it all the way. And then the second thing is, is you join a caravan. You join a group of people heading that way. We called it a tent city. uh, Where you, you never really feel at home here because your home is somewhere else. And so you get a compass because there's a journey to be made and you get a caravan to make it with you. 
And these two are so intertwined. These, they, they're so intertwined, we said. The writer of Hebrews says, that my spiritual life and my, and my relational, my community life, sort of grow together. Such that they cannot be separated without doing harm to either one. If I lose faith, that affects the community. If I lose community, it affects my faith. So that uh, in your life, when you look back, I think I said this, you look back on your life and you can't really, if you've been in a good, healthy, robust community where you've hurt people and they've hurt you and you've loved them and they've loved you and you've been cared for and you've provided care and you've been forgiven and you've offered forgiveness and you've had people there to pick you up when you blow it and people who drag you along when you don't want to go you can't distinguish you can't distinguish the difference between your faith and community they just sort of blend into one as you look back so faith shapes your community your faith shapes your community we're going to see that in a minute and community shapes your faith you're going to see that too those are two very important realities and so they work with each other and they work for each other and so at the end of hebrews we're given this sort of picture which i've shown to you for months now i think it's this text, and we keep trying to get to this centerpiece. We're, we're, next week, we're definitely in it. <laughs> next week, we're definitely in that centerpiece. But you see, you've get, you got leaders in your life, uh, in your past, and in your present. Again, he's concerned about not only your faith from a beginning and an end, and a present, but he's also thinking about the leaders that were in your life. So that when you think about your faith, and you think about the journey, you've got people that that were in the beginning of your life that are still present in your life, leaders in your life. And so he sort of created this, uh, literarily has sort of put us in a box, in a pen, in a community together. Now this will explain to us how to live in that community together. But in the meantime, there's a structure to it that we need to be very familiar with. And here's the two verses by themselves. Remember your leaders who got you on the journey and you imitated their faith. You needed leaders in your life to get you going in the journey. But then he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. These are your present leaders. Remember the ones who are in your life. In other words, at any point in your life, you ought to be able to think of the people that are in your life helping you get along in life, in the journey. So it's faith and community that are on this uh, continuum. And then you get, uh, let's see, verse 20. In verse 20, remember Jesus is a great shepherd who serves and leads us. He's died for us. He was risen for us. And he is our great shepherd. And so you get this image. You have, there is a great shepherd over the sheep but he has put leaders in our life sort of under shepherds to guide us to bring us along and so this structure here means we have an ultimate guide we have an ultimate guide in Christ who is our shepherd Uh, but he says you need leaders in your life too and of course this is the church he's talking about the church it can't be anything else. And so what he's going to talk about here, and we're going to learn it, is 
Uh, there's an authority in my life, in all of our lives, and then there's mutuality in our lives. Authority and mutuality, you gotta have them both. You need shepherds in your life, you need authority in your life, spiritually. You think about that. Um, so we need shepherds. There is an important authority element here, and I want to tease that out. It's sort of weird if you're, you know, being a leader and talking about this. You don't always run into this in, in Scripture. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. But there's an authority element. In other words, our great and chief shepherd has determined and designed our life together to have under shepherds. In other words, having Christ in our life does not eliminate the need for pastoral leadership. So you can't ever say, I got God and that's all I need. Don't need organized religion. Don't need structured religion. Nobody wants organized religion. What they want is a place, a community that's led well. No one wants organized religion. That's, that sounds horrible. I don't want that. But I do want to be a part of a community and I need people in my life who can do one of two things that I can share my life with mutually and someone who can kick me out. That's what you need in your life. Someone who can tell you, time for you to go, big boy. You're not fitting in. Isn't that what church discipline is? Somebody's gotta be able to say, you're done here. You're like, I don't want anybody. I know, I know you don't, but you need it. I need it. Somebody's gotta be able to look at me and say, we're not gonna tolerate that. So you need authority in your life, all of us. You also need somebody in your life that you do life with and you experience um, mutual leadership. I'll describe that here in just a minute. So you need both. You need authority and you need mutuality. They're prerequisites for perseverance. You want to make it all the way to the end? Who's the authority in your life? You want to make it all the way to the end? Where's the mutuality coming from? Who are you serving and who's serving you? That's what we're talking about. So we look at uh, verse 17 and you see these words and you're like, what is this authority structure he's referring to? And then you get to verse, uh, let's see, let's go ahead and take us down here a little bit. To these words, look at these words. And these are hard to say. I mean, I'm standing up here and as, as, you know, one of your leaders, you've got lots of them here at Hillside, but obey and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls and will give an account for their work. Let them do this with joy and not with complaints, for this would be of no advantage for you. This is a powerful verse. I've been reflecting on it for over, for a couple months now. And the word obey, I mean, the writer of Hebrews, remember, just my handle on the language. The word submit here is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Um, it means to yield, to give way. And then the word obey means to be persuaded, won over. It's used of Jesus in Hebrews. It's a unique word too, not your typical just do what I say kind of obey. This is the kind of, that's one where, where you're persuaded by somebody, you're won over by them, by their life. Even Jesus, Hebrews says, learned obedience through his sufferings. Um. 
So one of the commentators, I think, makes an interesting point here that you'll be glad to hear. He comments that this is not authoritarianism. Um, This is not the same leadership structure of the world where you submit to a leadership who's just telling you what to do. That's not what this is. Um, Because the goal is not to get people to do what they're told. If you look at this text, you know, they watch, you, you want people who, who are watching over you, which is an eschatological, when you say watch in the New Testament. These are people who are, who are thinking about the end and all, the, all the, the perils and the threats to faith in your life. You want somebody who's looking out for those, teaching, guiding, keeping you on track because there's lots of things to knock you off. So this is, you ought to have leaders in your life at multiple levels who are vigilant and watching out for your faith. Because we've said all the way through Hebrews, your faith is vulnerable. And, and, and living a life of faith is hard. They watch out for your souls, he says. Your eternal well-being. So you need leaders that are in your life that are looking at your life always in light of eternity. That's the best thing we do for each other here. You bring your life and all of its baloney in here with us. You didn't think I was going to say baloney, did you? You thought I was going to say a bad word. I thought about it, but I did. But you bring all your baloney in here and then we all get to interpret each other's lives through eternity and keep us alive for one more day. That's what we get to do for one another. And they give an account. The good leaders in your life, you find the good leaders who know that they're going to give an account for the way that they lead. That's the only leader worth being around in your life anywhere. They know they're going to give an account for what they do and how they live. And you can see how their life is so, even the leader's life is so intertwined in the community that literally at the end of this time when he gives account to God, he can either do that with joy. This is an interesting word, not my favorite translation here, complaints, but literally it's groan. He's either going to give an account of his leadership over you with joy or groaning. And the word groaning here is that deep, guttural sort of sorrow and distress that Psalms uses, Job uses it. So at the end of time, he stands before God and he gives an account for the leadership over whoever God has given him. He's going to be able to say, Lord, I got a great story to tell you. Or he's going to say, this person broke my heart. And let me tell you, Good leaders, their life goes, it flips back and forth. You wonder why your leader's nuts a little? A little bipolar spiritually? It's because just about every single, I can't tell you how many calls in the course of a week or a month or a year that I get that give me an update on somebody's life. And sometimes it's wonderful and sometimes it isn't. And I just go like this. And, and really, the only thing that really brings true joy 
into a leader's life is when, is when the people that are around him, the people that he leads are, are, are doing what God wants them to do. And it's very, very deep distress when they're not. And then he says, and you know, it's certainly not going to be any advantage to you. And the word is profit. It's a commercial term. It's like the bottom line. It's like if you were using some commercial transaction, you know what the bottom line at the end of the day? It's not going to be good for you when he stands before God if he's groaning. I mean, what profit would that be? This is a powerful way to say there are eternal stakes. That's the bottom line spiritually. Eternal stakes. The kinds of Things that happen to our faith can happen to our faith. That can keep us from making it to the end. Those are devastating. The bottom line is, is everything. You have nothing more. Have you thought about this? You have nothing more valuable in your life than your faith. You lose that. What else do you have? You keep it at all costs. And you need community to do that. You need leaders in your life helping you. And when leaders lead well and people follow well, you got a great experience. It shouldn't be organized religion. By the way, we're all leaders and we're all followers at some level. And I'll show you how that works. Uh, So leaders gain their authority. That's what verse 7 was trying to say. Let me see if I can. Remember your leaders who spoke God's message to you and lived a certain kind of life. They had an outcome. This was the end of their life. At the end of their life, you look back on it and say, wow, they had faith. Worth imitating. Not only did they have a great message, they had a great life. And that's where a leader gets his authority. It's not his message, and it's not his mouth, and it's not his words. It's God's words. And if he's not giving you God's words, you don't need to follow that. And if he's not living it, you don't need to follow that. It's very simple. Um, That's where he gets his authority, by God's word and living it out. And so uh, under-shepherds are always pointing to the great shepherd, They're just sort of out in front pointing to the great shepherd because it's his voice that the sheep respond to, not the leaders. The good shepherd doesn't want want the sheep following anyone but the great shepherd, not even him. That's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd doesn't manipulate, uh, micromanage, drive people. He's not a sheep dog. You ever seen the sheep dog and just nipping at the sheep all the time? Yicking at them. You know, running around, freaking them out all the time. Everywhere you turn around, there's a leader telling you something to do, nitpicking at you. Nobody wants a leader like that in their life. You run from that. Uh, harassing the sheep. You certainly don't want leaders who do this either. You don't want a leader who's making promises to you that aren't biblically true you don't want them downplaying truth Uh, you don't want the cross to be out of the picture you don't want it all to be rosy 
hey, you can have. The only thing we've been handed, and we're going to see it in the middle. You know what's in the middle? Wait till you see what's in the middle. It ain't rosy. And so if anybody's telling you it's going to be rosy, um, that's not a shepherd you want to follow. Listen, following the great shepherd is not easy. He's always loving, and everything he does and asks you to do will save your life. But it isn't easy. Do you hear that? It is not easy. So, uh, you know, 1 Peter 5, I'm going to sort of push through this a little bit. Look what he says to the sort of the elders of the church. Uh, so as your fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, this is, this is sort of the backdrop to all good leadership. We'll see that in a minute. He says to the elders among them, uh, care for God's flock, exercise overfight, oversight, not by duty. You don't want, here's the things you don't want in a leader. You don't want them to do it out of duty. Um, you don't want them to do it for any personal gain. Uh, and you don't, and you don't want an authoritarian. I'm telling you what to do all the time. That's what you don't want in your life. Rather, just what he said in the other one. You just be examples to the flock. That's where your, that's where your authority comes. Uh, and when the chief shepherd appears, see, that's where we all got to be accountable to. You will receive a crown of glory. He says to the leaders, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility, look, toward one another. In other words, I'm not just submissive to the authority. There's a mutual submission. There's authority and there's mutuality. You're sort of a, we're, we're all submissive to each other. I'm going to show you how that works here in a second. So let me, get, let me just say this to you, just some practical things that I think are important. Um, leaders are capable of making it about them. They're fully capable of that. So you need to be, have you know, your antennas up. Uh, but this is important. It's also very possible, and I've seen this, you make it about the leader. The leader can make it about himself without your help. Don't help him. Don't help her by making it about them. That's the worst thing you can do. Uh, Spiritual leaders get off course when they act like lords. Or you treat them as lords. You already have a savior in the Lord. I can't save you and I'm no Lord. You can ask my kids. I'm horrible at both. Don't ask Gail anything. You hear me? You can ask my kids stuff. Don't ask Gail stuff. Um. Remember, that was, that's what was happening in Corinth, remember? You know the first issue he deals with that messed up church? The, the this great community of people trying to figure out how to live the faith. 
I don't throw them under the bus anymore because I realized what they came out of, they had no idea how to, how to be church. And so Paul writes a letter to help them be church. And one of the things he tells them is some of you guys are running around. The first issue he deals with is this immature, spiritually immature church trying to figure out how to be church. The first issue he deals with is, here, let me give it to you. Hey, this is, this is what he finds. Uh, for members of Chloe's household have made it clear to me, my brothers and sisters, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, each of you is saying, well, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And then there's a few over-spiritually people saying, well, I'm of Jesus. You know, that's what he's saying. So here's the thing you don't want to do. You start making it about the leaders. You don't make it about the leader. And look what he says here, because this is great. I love this. Is Christ divided? Paul wasn't crucified for you. I love that line. No leader died for you. And you weren't baptized in their name. Baptized you in the name of Pete Chiafala. And raised in the likeness of his great leadership. It's ridiculous. I can't save you, I didn't save you. I'm not a Lord, I'm not your Lord. No leader is. So don't give them that status. You'll ruin them if you do that. First Corinthians 3, he's not done with that topic. This is chapter 1, and chapter 3 he goes on to say there's a, there's a lack of maturity if you're too needy of a leader. You need authority in your life. You don't need to become so needy and over-dependent that they become too much like Jesus in your life. This ruins churches. It ruins your faith. Your relationship to leaders stays healthy. If you stay healthy and connected to the great shepherd, then, you, then the leader never can get out of whack because you're always following the ultimately the right person. Um, you know, there's 6,000 cults in the U.S. Do you know what one of the central features of all of them is? Everybody gives authority to one voice. Listen, you have a Bible in your hand. You can read it for yourself. You didn't have time all week to do what I did. That's why you come here. You want somebody to teach you something that you didn't have all time to study. That's why you make it possible for the leaders of this church to do what they do. I'm very grateful for that. Heavy responsibility. Take it incredibly seriously. Consider it an incredible privilege. But you have a Bible in your hand too. So I'm accountable to every one of you for what I say. Or any leader up here. Um... So when we talk about mutuality, there is a mutuality. And now it's critical for this whole community that you bring a heart and a, and a life transformed uh, by God, a personal relationship with the great shepherd to this community when you come. And everyone benefits from your relationship with the great shepherd. What we are cumulatively is only as healthy and godly as who you are when we get together. You show up with 
what God is doing in your life. I show up with what God is doing in my life and we benefit each other. It's very important that your whole spiritual life is not dependent on any one leader. That's a second-hand faith. You need a first-hand faith. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and then you bring that in here, and we get to grow and learn together. Don't become overly dependent and needy of anyone's teaching. I hope you all come back next week. I've kind of made it really easy to say, eh, I'm sleeping in next week. Um, how are we doing on time? We're doing okay. All right. Uh, so you need a firsthand faith. You need a dynamic relationship with God. Here's, here's what, uh, In Search of Guidance, uh, another book by Dallas Willard, he writes this. Ultimately, the social dimension in all of its glory is derived only from the individual's communion with God. Ultimately, who we are as a body is shaped mainly by who you are when you walk in here. What God has said to you this week, what he's done for you this week, how he's guided you this week, how he's helped you this week. And then you bring that here. And some of us in the room who had a hard week benefit from that. Just your presence here today is encouraging to everyone in the room. This is the mutuality. Now let me tell you, here's one of the big reasons people don't want to be in close community. They're happy to be in a room this size, but they don't want to go to a small group tonight. One of the reasons is, is their faith isn't growing and they're ashamed of it. Well, I'm just not, you know, that into it. And then you don't want to show up. Well, I don't know the Bible that well, and I don't know if they're going to call on me to read something I don't even read that well. And you just go on and on about all the things that you can't do. And so because you don't like the fact that your faith isn't growing, you don't want to be around people whose faith is growing. And so it's imperative that your faith is growing. It doesn't matter how much, just so that you bring something to the table. Otherwise, you won't show up. That's been one of the common issues in the life of this church. People stay away from community because they're going to feel a little ostracized and judged by the fact that their faith isn't where it ought to be. That's more motivation to get your faith where it ought to be. Read Hebrews 5 and 6. We didn't have time to deal with that, but he says some of you could, you've been in church long enough, now you could be teachers if somebody asked you, but because you never really have any personal outside faith. You never grow, lead anything, or do anything. And so people stay away from it. So again, communities only as good and healthy as you are personally. Think about the mutuality. I think about if you, if you get around generous people, you want to be generous. You know what we had happen this week that you'll be beneficial? You'll be beneficiaries of somebody touching God's heart and the person who's doing the roof for Hillside has, denied, has decided to donate the entire $200,000 roof of, that, of the building we're building. You're a beneficiary of what God told him to do. Aren't you glad God told him to do that? 
Aren't you glad he comes to this church and not some other church around here? Yeah, I bet you are. He's in your community. See, generous people, you get around them and you're like, oh my gosh, we're all beneficiaries of God touching one person's heart or, or, or a husband and a wife's heart. You're a beneficiary of that. You're a beneficiary of all that kind of, you ever been, you get around people in here, there's people in this church suffering. Get around them. I had lunch with a guy this week. Suffering. Tears. But hanging in there. When you leave a lunch like that, you're like, I know I can go another day. I know I can go another day. People who are loving and you know you're not loving. People who are prayerful and you know it's hard for you to get three words up to God. You get around them and you're like, I need to be more prayerful. And we submit to each other. You submit to to people in this church. Somebody tells you what time small group is. You didn't decide that. You say, well, who told me to show who you tell me to be there at 6 o'clock? What if I want to be there at 6.30? You're submissive. Somebody tells you what to bring. I didn't want to bring a salad. I was going to bring a dessert. I guess I got to bring a salad. That's submission. Wait a minute. They're They're going to study Matthew. I wanted to study John. That's submission. We're submitting to each other all the time. And then on the way out, they're going to tell you what to read this week, and they're going to tell you who to pray for this week. That's submission. But submission like that, when we're all doing it for one another's blessing, that's what mutuality is about. We exhort, we guide, and we lead each other. All submissive to each other. No one in here is not submissive. Staff tell me what to do. Elders tell me what to do. You tell me what to do. You think I'm telling people what to do? Everybody's telling me what to do. That's mutuality. There's a posture of dependence that's very important in the element of community and faith development. It's in essence, submission and dependence are critical for your faith to grow and last. Augustine was the one who said, you need someone in your life, this is the way he said it, who's not you. I love that. You cannot be alone or at the center of your own spiritual world. Uh... You need someone outside to see and hear you because you become blind and deaf to yourself. So you need someone who's not you. Uh, By the way, this is another reason we want community because we don't like how people interpret who we are. This is another reason why we don't like community. I'm not going to that small group. They're all going to think I'm and I'm fine. That's how we feel. So either our faith isn't strong enough to go and we're going to feel ostracized and the weakest guy in the room and we don't want to be that. It's like the guy who's picked last on the team. I don't want to be picked last. I play pick up basketball all the time over here at this gym I'm at. And I got some great people and I, I don't, uh, and I'm not very good and I announce that when they ask me to play because I'm over there playing with my son and then my son con- cons me into getting into a game. And then you see the two Good players of these 10 guys, they're, they're picking teams. 
I'm always last. Who's that? What's, the, what's that big heavyset guy going to do? <laughs> my, my son's always, yeah, he can, yeah, yeah. He can be a fifth guy. You need a fifth guy? That's me. You don't want to be that guy. But the other reason you avoid community is because you're just afraid somebody's going to hear you or see you in a way you don't want to be heard or seen. Listen, you need that in your life. Have you ever had anybody said to you, I know you have. Have you ever had anybody said to you, if you're married, I know you've had it. But it doesn't matter. If somebody said to you, do you hear yourself? Has anybody ever said that to you? <laughs> do you hear yourself? Do you see yourself? This is a, you've either said it to someone or someone has said it to you. Occasionally, I have to go, I do this. Very painful. But I have to go and watch and listen to myself on video. I do it just a couple times in a series. And I'll only watch the first few minutes because I can't stomach it. Can't stand the way I'm, I see myself and I hate my voice. And anyone who watches themselves on video is doing the same thing all the time. Nobody likes their voice on video and nobody likes their, the way they look. And so it's like you got to stomach it. I do it because somebody said one day, well, if they've got to look at you and hear you, you ought to look and hear it yourselves and see if there's anything you can change. And almost always there's something I can improve. But it's very, very painful to do. You say, do I do that? You know, I've caught myself a few years ago doing this all the time. I didn't even know I was doing that. And none of you told me. It's like I could have had something in my teeth right here and you wouldn't have told me. I kept myself doing this all the time. And I was like, how, what is happening? And I'm watching myself going, do I do that? I didn't know I was doing it. And you know, if you read a little bit about it, you know what they, what they tell you is that your own voice sounds different to you than it does to other people. And so when you hear yourself, you think you sound like that, and that's not how you sound. And the reason is because your voice, it vibrates. And you know what? It's the bones in your neck and the bones in your skull that it vibrates off. And what it does is it flattens the tone. It flattens the, uh, the sound waves. And so your tone is different in your head than it is to other people. And so uh, all I can do is say I'm sorry to all of you for what you got to deal with, what you got to look at, what you got to hear. Um, but listen to this. Let's, let's, let's look at this real quick. Um, so it's a great story because remember, the, the whole point of, of our text, and I, and I didn't have it up here. I didn't give it to Cody, and I should have. It's, it's 1320, Cody. That's, that's what I need for the next service. Um, Hebrews 1320, remember the great shepherd over the sheep. The last image of, of Hebrews is us as sheep. Remember what we said about us as sheep. We get lost and wayward and we need community. We need, we need to be, we're safe with others. This is inbred in sheep. They cannot lead themselves. You certainly don't want to be overled with some dog snipping at you. But you can't lead yourselves. None of us can lead ourselves to the end. Okay? But you also have got to be in community. And so... Uh, Actually, Cody, a few weeks ago, tells me this story, and I just love this story. This is a story about a famous sheep now. He's passed away since he's about 15 years old. Uh, This this sheep that didn't like shearing, didn't like being sheared. 
And so it always tried to get away when the time came. And so at one particular point, this thing finds its way into a cave to hide from being sheared. Ends up being in there for six years. They lost the sheep. Now, I want to show you what this sheep looks like. Because this is what it looks like when they found it. (laughs) Is that the greatest thing you've ever seen? (laughs) They call him Shrek. (laughs) And he's in there because he doesn't want to be sheared. And you know what they said about him? What they were nervous about and what they were concerned about is that he was in solitary for so long. That he literally could have died from the shock of human contact. (laughs) You know, that's how many of us deal with community. We've been out of it for so long. I might die if I go into a small group. So this thing is in New Zealand. And um, when they finally shear this thing, here's another picture of it. Uh, When they finally shear this thing, it was enough wool to make 20 suits for men, for a man. And... It was about 60 pounds, and I think there's a picture. Yeah, I think we have a picture of it. That's what, when they sheared it, which he hated. You just know he hated it. He's hiding for six years, all alone. And, you know, one of the guys said, this is uh, dangerous for sheep. They don't have anybody to shear them. So, uh, because it's hot, there's a safety issue because, he, 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 you know, sheep are already vulnerable, can't get away from anything. But he's not getting away from a bug. And if he were to roll over, he couldn't get up. And then they said his eyes, his eyes are covered to the point where, you know, he's pretty soon, he's, gonna, he's not going to be able to see anything. This is what happens when you're alone. You don't see yourself. You can't hear. You need somebody in your life to shear you. You need somebody in your life to tell you that. Do you hear yourself? Do you see yourself? And then this is what he looked like when it was done. That's the way we want our sheep to look. Right there. Isn't that great? Well, we're going to take communion here. I was going to tell you another story, but we, we, we need to get to communion here. Uh, maybe I'll tell you later. Uh, but um, that's enough. I think you get the picture now. You get the picture now? Authority and mutuality. You need both in your life. Authority and mutuality. And what those both mean to you.